Welcome to This Fundraising Life, a podcast about much more than just the numbers. I'm Heather Yando, a fundraising expert and the creator of the Individual Donor Benchmark Project. Today's guest is Don Crawford, a communications expert and the principal communicator at BCDC Ideas. I hope you enjoy our discussion of the best practices for online giving and how to communicate with donors and potential donors. Dawn, thank you so much for being on this fundraising life to talk about online fundraising. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, we like to start the podcast with a little bit of the data from the Individual Donor Benchmark Project. And so one of our really interesting findings is over the past few years, we have seen online giving steadily creep up. So we have seen this both in terms of how much organizations raise from people giving online. So we look at that as a percentage of their overall revenue from individuals. That's creeped up over the past few years from 17% to 24%. And we've also seen the number of individuals giving creep up about the same trajectory. So that to me says it's just becoming more and more common for organizations to have online giving and for people to be choosing that. I'm just wondering from your perspective, does that align with what you've seen out there in the world? I definitely think so. I think everybody wants the convenience of giving online or just making online transactions, period, right? That when you have to send a check somewhere, the likelihood of you doing that is is less than it certainly was even five, 10 years ago. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of data and kind of looking at that. I think people are choosing to give online more and to be able to give and they feel more confident about giving larger gifts online than they ever have before. So I think it's really hard to untangle whether it's a fundraising strategy that people are giving online more or if it's just a technology change in our culture overall. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Is that how, how is this happening? And I don't have data on that. I wish I did. One of the other pieces I have of data I do have, though, is the average gift online. So we saw in 2016, the average gift from the individual donor benchmark project online was about $300. And all gifts, including online, offline, major gifts, was almost $1,000. And so we've seen that online giving average gifts have increased over the years, but they've always been less than and usually a half or a third of the, the overall average gift. So do you have a sense of why you think that is? I still think for those big gifts, so the monumental gifts of $5,000, $25,000, I really think that a, looking at the people who generally get to, who are able to give those donations are generally an older population. Um, so they definitely feel more confident writing you a check. Also, so I think there's definitely some, some age preference about that. But also, I think giving an online gift is a different transaction. I think it's something that people are often, it's something fast on the fly. So it's those small, you know, $25 gifts when you really care about some cool thing they did or some sort of advocacy project that they're working on. I think that also messes with your average, right? Is that there's a lot of really small gifts online. 
But then also, I think people, you know, if they're giving $5,000, they want to write the five and the three zeros. Like, <laughs> I think there's something <laughs> to putting that pen to paper. And it's just, it just, it feels more like a gift at that point. It would be really interesting to talk to really affluent givers and how they feel about giving that gift online. And if it feels any less significant to them, or if it feels any less of, you know, kind of that their own emotional boost that they get out of giving. If pushing the donate button is as emotionally monumental as writing a check and handing it to somebody. You know, I think there is definitely some volume of donation ideas, you know, that there are smaller gifts overall online sometimes. And there are more of those rapid fire, like, you know, just spur of the moment gifts. But also, I really do think that writing a check or having your bank transfer a large sum of money is just more monumental and more emotional for people. That totally makes sense. And, and I can tell you from the perspective of being a development director, we didn't necessarily want our $5,000 donors giving online, in part because we wanted the opportunity to have conversation with them and cultivate them. But just from a really practical standpoint, credit card fees will eat up some of a big chunk of that $5,000 gift. You can lose serious money there. And so we, we sometimes ask people, instead of giving online, can you write us a check? Interesting. That is interesting. Um, did they deliver it or did you go get it? Or was it really, was it just that you wanted it in paper? Um, sometimes it was, it was just to avoid the credit card fees. Um, but sometimes we really wanted the opportunity to sit down with folks and talk to them about the work and really what their past donations had been able uh, had enabled us to do and really build that relationship um, with someone who was able to give us $5,000 and maybe more. So one of the questions that comes up for me is, if we are seeing increasing amounts of revenue generated online, and if we're seeing more folks giving online, but yet the average gift is lower, mm-hmm. maybe for these reasons, maybe for others, are we in any danger as organizations of as more and more of our donors are choosing online, are we missing out on the opportunity to get bigger gifts or upgrade their gifts? You know, it, 10 years from now, are we going to have regretted this shift to online giving? I don't know if you've got a sense of that. Yeah, I think so. I think overemphasizing online giving is definitely a danger. There is something disruptive and special about getting a letter in the mail with your actual name on it. Um, (laughs) You know, and I think that's something that we talk to our clients a lot is about, you know, just how do you disrupt people's everydays and how do you disrupt all the noise that people hear from other nonprofits, but also just everything you hear in your daily life. And so I think really, you know, making sure that you have a paper-based or event-based fundraising strategy is really important. I think that that opportunity to send somebody a letter or send somebody, you know, even a postcard in the mail is a way of making them feel special because everybody still looks at their mail. You know, even if we stand over the trash can and throw out the flyers and throw out the junk mail, like you still look at your mail every single day. And I don't know if we look at our email every single day. So that's kind of an interesting thought. (laughs) But I do think that having at least you know, one contained strategy a year of paper is really important. With digital printing and how inexpensive it is to actually 
print things now and posters and postcards and letters that, you know, including mail is really important. And for the things that we've talked about, that there is a larger average gift. And also if you want to, you're doing moves management and you're moving folks up the, you know, fundraising ladder, it's definitely more significant to see that ask in a letter than it would be in an email. So, you know, if, if I had been donating to you for five years and I had kind of grown from a hundred dollar donor to a $500 donor, I mean, I don't know if an email telling me, Hey, we need $750 from you this year. Cause we'd, you know, are going to do so much if that would be nearly as impactful as it coming on paper and just being that ability to sit down and write it. With all that said, I think that nonprofits do still need to offer the opportunity to give online, even if they're soliciting them through mail, through old school snail mail. Um, You still want to offer that opportunity for it to be easy for them and convenient and that they don't have to send you a check. So that's an interesting thing, right? So it's that solicitation also versus how you're actually receiving the money. Absolutely. And, And you mentioned something earlier about, you know, people being more likely maybe to give with their credit card. I'm one of those folks who I'm not sure where my checkbook is at any particular moment, but I have my credit card number memorized. Yeah. So if you want a donation from me, it probably needs to be online. Exactly. So this concept of direct mail being disruptive and special is really fascinating to me because I think if we were talking 10 years ago, direct mail was just the thing you do. And now it can be disruptive and special. Um, So I'm wondering what, have you seen any, anybody doing really interesting direct mail? Um, I I worked with someone a couple years ago who sent out Valentine's Day cards to their sustaining donors, to their recurring donors, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was a really great different way of appreciating and, and building the relationship. But have you seen anything interesting and super disruptive in direct mail? Yeah, our client Safe Haven for Cats is a local no-kill animal shelter in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they do just, I mean, it's not interesting or different, but what they do is they execute it beautifully. So they do standard letter, the good old Johnson box and lift notes and the PS and all that jazz. But what they do is they take advantage of printing on the envelope. So because they're a cat shelter, they get to include adorable cats on all of their mailings. And so just by taking advantage of the envelope, which you're already printing on anyway, just to put your return address on there, And even if it's one color of just putting an image on the envelope or a big ask or somebody's name again on there of like, Dawn, please give to us. We need you now. You know, Mm -hmm. a big obnoxious typeface. I think that is how it can be special and different. And it's just, it's not that much more expensive because you're already printing on the darn thing. So why don't you add an image or something like that? I think that's like, and we get their, even in our, in our invoices and how we get our checks from them, we get their old direct mail envelopes, which is just delightful. And I love seeing the photos of cats on, <laughs> on our own checks. But I think, I think that's a way of doing it is it's through really good design and that even your letter needs to be well designed. You know, just putting it on your letterhead and putting it in the mail isn't the best way, but you could even just adding a photo to the letter, you know, and printing it on a color color printing process versus your printer at the office, you know, just taking those extra steps that even if it costs you a dollar per page 
to be able to get this donation out, this ask out that, that that's a really good way of making it different and special and worth somebody opening. Yes. Yes. So with direct mail, we say, you said, and I think it's true. People still actually look at their mail. Yeah. With email, we have a yeah. much heavier lift. <laughs> so yes. what have you seen work in terms of organizations increasing their online giving? And that may be email, website, social media. I don't want to restrict us just to email, but I yes. guess what works? Asking more than you ever thought would be okay to ask. <laughs> uh. So when we consult with folks on their online giving strategies, what we've seen, so there's a couple different scenarios. So it depends on if you start with a print piece or not. So let's say you're going to send one letter. You're going to actually send them a letter. What we've seen that works really well is doing a preview email saying, hey, look for our letter in the mail. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. Letter comes. And then for, you know, usually about, you know, a week lag after each one of those. So for two weeks that you do additional email reminders to that person saying, we still haven't received your gift. You know, time is running out, whatever your urgent ask is that that has worked really well for a lot of organizations is doing one print letter, but complementing it through your email strategy. And then um, when you're looking at social media, so specifically Facebook is incredibly powerful. So you could set up an ad to target the people on your mailing list. So there is a way that you can upload emails into Facebook ads to just target the people on your list. Wow. So yeah, which is really cool and really creepy. Um, (laughs) As long as they have Facebook accounts, right? So, and that email address is tied to their Facebook account, but that's another way where you can complement and reiterate and reinforce those messages of the campaign. So I think it can all work together really well and it can all be really scheduled at one time and be done. And then it's really just about looking at where you're getting the biggest bump and really paying attention to when people are making that decision to give. And how much it takes for them to give. And then that really will depend on your own organization. But I think that it's repetition and it's a higher frequency than you'd ever think that people would be okay with. And they might not be okay with it, you know, and they might be like, okay, I'm done, like unsubscribe. But if they get annoyed by being asked three times on email, then they were never going to give to you in the first place. So it's okay. Like I do not focus on unsubscribes. I don't focus on unlikes. Because I'd rather clean out the people who have doubts about my organization and get rid of them (laughs) than worry about the fact that people are unsubscribing to my email. Yeah, there's, and there's this, this fine line, right? Like it's advantageous for us to get those folks off the email list. Yes. Sometimes I say to people, well, what's your email list for if not to get you donors and volunteers? Yep. Right? That, that's the goal. So if people are annoyed, you're asking them to do those things. They're probably not the right people on your email list. But then I've also heard the advice of ask until your unsubscribe rate goes up. You'll see it spike. And when that True happens, too. you know, you're doing it too much. So how yeah, how do you see that? How do you see that that fine line? Yeah, I mean, I definitely you definitely want to pay attention to your spikes. And you can also see who has unsubscribed. So if you see a key person in there, you could always give them a buzz and ask them about why this particular message Mm -hmm. irked them. I still don't believe that 
most nonprofits, they ever ask enough. I think when you're looking at big organizations like NGOs or the top 25 nonprofits, that they, I mean, they have asks every other week. I think they ask too much, but then they have segmented lists and all this jazz. I don't know if small nonprofits can ever ask too much. You're already strapped for resources. I just don't know if asking too much should be a concern because you're all so busy already that I just don't know if you'll ever have the resources to be able to ask too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, the time or bandwidth or professional staff to be able to be annoying. Yeah. I don't know if somebody could probably do me wrong with that, but I don't know. I just feel like nonprofits, especially non small nonprofits don't communicate enough. They don't ask enough and they don't do all the things that they should do enough. Well, let me ask you the hard question that I get sometimes, even as a non-communications professional. How many, how much should I be communicating with folks? How many emails? How many print newsletters? What's the right amount? And I know it's probably a, it depends question, but what's your advice? So you definitely want to communicate when you have information. So you don't want to be redundant to yourself or terribly repetitive. But I would say that Small nonprofits can safely email once a week. The reason I say that is when you think about major brands in the emails that you subscribe to as an individual, say, you know, it's a clothing brand like Gap or Old Navy, they send you stuff like every day and you keep it in your feed. (laughs) So I think, you know, and when you're trying to compete and cut through that noise that writing a newsletter once a month probably isn't enough. Once a quarter, don't even, you shouldn't even be bothering. Mm. Because the way that people interact with their email is immediate. So people are rarely going to search through their email being like, oh, when's the last time I got a newsletter? Nobody does that. So email is about the moment. Email is about hitting them when they're actually looking at their email and have that five minutes of time to look at your communication. So I think that email communications need to be shorter and more frequent than what most small nonprofits are certainly doing. That certainly once a week is sustainable as long as you have stuff to communicate. And I think that is where it gets really hard for organizations that have small staff or, you know, just have less resources is that there's genuinely less things for them to communicate about. There's less stories to tell. There's less events to get people to attend. So then you can kind of look at, you know, less frequency per month. I'm in the camp of more email because if you look at what the big guys are doing, if you look at the top 25 and how many emails you get from them on a monthly basis, it's, it's a lot. And they have four or five people who are just dedicated to sending out email communications. So for small nonprofits, try to do more. (laughs) The right amount of communicating is more Mm -hmm. in this case. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So building off of that, the online landscape seems to be always changing. And so we think about communicating, of course, we've got our website, we've got our email, maybe we have a paper newsletter. So there's some kind of standards. Mm -hmm. But what should organizations be paying attention to, particularly in kind of social media land? What are the what are the best channels for the best for the different organizations? How do you advise people 
about whether they should be Snapchatting or Instagramming or any of these things. Mm -hmm. So I would say you have to be on Facebook and you have to have a Facebook ad budget now. Mm. So Facebook uh, reach is really minimal. So every post that you put into Facebook only reaches um, between five to 10% of your total fan base. So to be able to up those numbers, you need to boost critical posts. So important posts that you want people to actually see, you have to put money behind now. So Facebook for sure, but you need to have money uh, behind it also. And how much money are we talking about here? Their $5 boosts do really well. So 24 hours uh, for a $5 boost to reach your fan base for a major event that you want people to make sure that they see is pretty effective. Hmm. Okay. I mean, we've done huge buys of like spending $5,000 in a week, but those are all national campaigns and bigger geographic input. But yeah, so I think even $5 is fine. You know, you just kind of want to look at what results you're getting out of that and making sure that you're getting whatever your end result is of more invites or more signups for volunteering. I do think it's dangerous to overemphasize online asks through social media, particularly in Facebook. I think that people do expect a lot out of those asks. And I think a Facebook post is kind of like a whisper versus, you know, an email is kind of like a conversation and a letter is like, we're going out to lunch, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so Facebook and social media is a whisper. It's like one little nugget and little seed that you're planting in people's brains. So just don't overemphasize or like expect it to fix everything. It has to be part of a bigger plan. So Facebook for sure. Twitter, if you are an organization that has any sort of political influence, then yes, it works. Everybody else can walk away from Twitter. Uh, Twitter is not one of my favorites. They're still not gaining users. So the past, even since they've gone public, they have never been able to sustain and keep any new users in America. Mm. So you're just not even talking to new people anymore mm -hmm. on Twitter. You're just talking to the same people. And if it's successful for you, keep it, but it's not part of my mix. Instagram is great if you have visual content to share and frequently at least three times a week. But if not, you're always going to struggle and you'll hate it. And then Snapchat is really only effective if you're trying to reach folks that are 25 and younger. They are certainly figuring out how to hit that demographic really, really well. So if that is your demographic and those are the folks that you need to get for volunteering or even for, you know, just engagement with your organization, then that's the place to be. Definitely get somebody who really understands it and loves it and wants to do it. And you'll have a successful campaign. But other than that, I think everybody else can kind of mark that off the list for right now. And then that's kind of it. There's not a lot of new stuff. There's there's, you know, there's messaging services where, you know, but it's, there's always things that pop up with more messaging, but it's, you know, that's kind of it. So I think if a nonprofit really wanted to focus their social media mix, it would be Facebook with ads. And then I'd recommend Instagram and then probably Twitter as a third piece if it's been successful for you in the past. That's really helpful. And I'm also surprised that there's nothing new that I hadn't heard of. I know what all of those things are. I know. I've never been on Snapchat, so. Okay. Yeah. So usually um, apps take off in the fall and winter. 
because people oh. are more bored. Pokemon Go was like the last thing that probably it took off during the summer because it was physical based and like fitness based. But usually to apps take off in that fourth quarter of the year um, just because of reveal dates, but also because people just have more time to like want to look at their phone and want to do something different. That makes sense. We'll keep our eyes out for the yeah. next thing. <laughs> so I'm curious if you would share the the reason behind your name, BCDC Ideas. Yeah. So BCDC Ideas is, so it's Brian Crawford and Don Crawford. So we are co-owners of our communications agency and we are also married. So that is where we got there and that we're ideas, we're idea people. We love the idea of just giving nonprofits ideas to be able to do stuff. And I think and that's something we talk about is that our ideas are always free. It's helping you execute it and get it perfect. That is where we come in as consultants. Yeah. So say a little bit more about what you actually, what kind of work you actually do with clients. Yeah. So we are a full service communications agency that works exclusively with nonprofits. And so we basically do everything that a communications director should or could (laughs) do in their job. We are full service. So that means that we do everything from strategy into implementation. So we really love creating communications plans, but also getting an opportunity to execute those campaigns and annual strategies through social media, collateral creation, videos, paid advertising, online advertising. And, you know, I think what we say is that we kind of end at creative online fundraising is kind of how we kind of call it that we really enjoy supporting nonprofits in creating really cool, engaging online communications campaigns. And that I'm probably not gonna be able to get you a big gift (laughs) out of the work that we do. But we certainly could engage a lot of folks to make small gifts. And finally, you know, get off that social media couch and, you know, slacker couch and actually make a donation. Excellent. And how can folks connect with you? Where can they find you? Yeah, we are on all the social medias. So BCDC ideas um, is our handle across everything. And then it's bcdcideas.com is our website. Great. And we'll put links to all of the social medias and to the website in the show notes. So our listeners can check that out. And as we wrap up, Dawn, I wonder if there's any last wisdom or advice that you want to leave our listeners with. I think it comes back to just frequency of communication in that I think that organizations, because we live this organization every day and we have to look at that brand every day and we have to pick the green tablecloth every single time we go to buy, you know, event supplies that we get tired of it, but it's because we live it every day and that people are delighted and excited to receive your communications because people are hearing a lot of crummy stuff every single day. So if you can tell them a happy story or a way that their donation has made an impact, they're always going to want to receive that communication. So ask more, put more stuff on Facebook, email people more often with your, with the good news of what your organization's doing. I love that. It's a great way to end the good news of what your organization is doing. Thank you so much, Dawn. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this fundraising life. Remember that you can find show notes and links to more episodes at thirdspacestudio.com slash podcast. 
We want to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at podcast at thirdspacestudio.com and let us know what questions you have and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. And if you haven't yet, download this year's donor data at thirdspacestudio.com slash IDB project.